Oh, Father, may it be true today, every round taking us higher and higher. Higher to You, higher to our Savior. The story is an ancient one. But please, let it come alive for this third millennial journey we are upon. In Jesus' name, Amen. Have you ever sinned, sinned, sinned to the place? Your conscience is so heavy and burdened that you are certain God cannot forgive you and that you cannot go on. I have a feeling all of us here today can identify personally with the oppressive guilt and the awful fear that chokes the heart of Jacob tonight. The guy is a cheat. All right, I suppose you can make a case. So quick was he on the heels of his hairy twin brother Esau in that moment of exiting from Mother Rebecca's womb. I suppose the case could be made that the birthright prerogative is up for grabs. We'll have to vote this one. This was too close. Let's have a vote. But Jacob, did you have to? Come on. Did you have to pray? Hit the hot button of your brother's appetite gratification proclivity. He has to have it. Did you have to push that button in order to win the birthright? I mean, Esau comes in. You know the story. Well, he comes in all day hunting big, hairy Esau, and he is famished. Esau, being given to flatulent excesses and exaggerations, you remember, he said, I am so hungry, I am going to die unless you give me something. And just like Pavlov's dogs, when he enters that little tribal campsite, he smells the aroma as Mama's boy, Jacob putting the finishing sprinkles and touches of herbs and spices on this steaming cradle of lentil stew. And by the way, nobody in this home makes the stew like Jake. Pavlov, salivation. I'm going to die unless you give me some. And Jacob, even-tempered, cool-headed Jacob, his eyes light in a flash. For in that moment of excessive appetite, he realizes, this is it. Jacob, Mama named him, oh, Mama named him Supplanter. He who grabs by the heel. And of course, that's exactly how he exited Mama's womb, hanging onto the heel of the brother twin in front of him, Esau. But you know what? Jacob, the cheater. I want to say to you, moms and dads, be careful. New moms and dads, Alex and Vanessa, be careful what in a moment of anger or haste you call your child because children have a tendency to make the names we call them self-fulfilling prophecies. Watch your tongue. Yaakov, you cheater, supplanter. And he lived up to it. 
Jacob for years has been bemoaning the fact that he came in second, or should I say he came out second. He has coveted the birthright of the eldest. There are three gifts with the birthright, and Jacob wants all three. Gift number one, you have Papa's authority in the tribe. Gift number two, you get a double of everybody else. No matter how many kids there are, you get twice as much. And gift number three, you become the priest. Jacob says, I, could, I want to be the priest. I want to be a leader. He's wanted it from the beginning. And so, his cunning eyes squint with glee. But of course, he saw you may have this steaming bowl. It's your favorite. And as Esau greedily growled, oh, no, 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 not quite yet, my man. You may have this bowl if you sell me your birthright. Esau wipes the saliva. And time seems to stop for him. He quickly does the spiritual arithmetic. He never has been very big on Grandpa Abraham's faith or Dad's faith. Father Isaac anyway. And besides, look, what good is a nebulous spiritual promise about the by and by when your appetite is screaming for gratification here and now? Done. And so Holy Scripture reads, and Esau said, Behold, I am about to die, so of what use then is the birthright to me? And Jacob said, Ah, oh, first, first swear to me. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. And then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew. And he ate and drank and rose and went on his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. End quote. I'm telling you what, the guy is a cheat. He not only tricked his brother Esau out of his birthright, he later fooled his blind 137-year-old papa. Fooled him into giving the promised hands-on blessing to the eldest. Jacob the cheat fooled him. Mama was in collusion on this one. I mean, they had the angel told her. It was a stormy pregnancy. Hadn't the angel said, you know what? You've got two nations warring inside of you and the older will serve the younger. Well, you know what, God? There are times it seems when God needs a little help. Ladies and gentlemen, whenever you think you are helping God, you are in trouble. You can't help God do a blooming thing. We'll help Him. And by the way, we will help him. Another word for young parents. Tragically enough, the parents of that little dysfunctional home have aligned themselves with their favorites. Father and the eldest versus mother and the youngest. Beware, young parent, of subtle or overt favoritism. For you and your favorite will eventually pay the price. And they all did, thanks to the mother Jacob treachery connived together. When Jacob runs away from home, her baby, she will never see him again, ever. She signed the death warrant for their relationship. It's over. 
And so, mother and Jacob together, fool that blind old man by the goat skins that Rebecca drapes over Jacob's neck and hands to fake the hairy skin of his older brother. And by the way, remember, Isaac comes this close, this close to smelling the rat and discovering the ruse. He, uh, this close. You gotta, come on, you, you're not, you're not. But Jacob blatantly, as if he spits in his dad's face, lies to him. I am Jacob. What do you mean? I am Jacob. I'm the eldest. I'm Jacob. Bless me. Bless me. Bless me. And finally, Father says, okay, okay. I, I smell your clothes. The man is a skillful cheat. A liar. A brilliant deceiver. And it worked. Heartbroken, twice cheated. Esau vows that when his father dies, there will be two fresh mounds of earth side by side. One for Papa and the other for the cheater. It is that runaway cheater who, having fled from home two days ago, now collapses to the already dark, cold night earth. Open your Bible, please, to the book of beginnings, Genesis chapter 28. Peer into the night shadows with me as we gaze upon what is surely one of the astounding portrayals of divine grace in all of Scripture. Genesis chapter 28. I'll be in the New American Standard Version today. Genesis 28. Let's pick it up in verse 10. Then Jacob departed from Beersheba, where the family tribe is camped. Departed sounds so casual. On the lamb, he fled from Beersheba. And he went toward Haran. You see, it was all a ruse. They didn't want old man, dad, to know what's up. And so mama goes and says, oh, he, he needs to marry somebody from my home tribe. Let's let him go to Haran, to, to my brother, to Uncle Laban. It was all a ruse. They fooled dad again. And so Isaac says, yeah, well, you'll only be gone a few days, boy, won't you? All right, verse 11, and he, Jacob, came to a certain place and he spent the night there because the sun had set. See, it's dark. And he took one of the stones of the place and he put it under his head and he lay down in that place. They say there is no softer pillow than a clear conscience. Well, tonight, Jacob's pillow is as hard as rock. Guilty, guilty, it screams. Have you ever sinned to the place you come to sense that there is no way you will make the journey back? You can make the journey back to God. No way God can forgive you this time. If you have, and I have a feeling all of us have, if you have, then tonight you can identify with Jacob as he tumbles into this troubled sleep. Let me describe the turbulence of his guilty soul with these words. 
This is from Patriarchs and Prophets. The darkness of despair pressed upon Jacob's soul and he hardly dared to pray. But he was so utterly lonely that he felt the need of protection from God as he had never felt it before. With weeping and deep humiliation, he confessed his sin and entreated for some evidence that he was not utterly forsaken. Still, his burdened heart found no relief. He had lost all confidence in himself. How long will God have to wait for you and me to come to that moment? Losing all confidence... He had lost all confidence in himself. And he feared that the God of his fathers had cast him off. End quote. And let me tell you something. I have watched the twitching anguish. You know, men do not often cry in front of men. Once in a while we break down and cry in front of a woman. We generally do not cry in front of other men. I have sat there and watched the twitching pain and anguish on a masculine face, contrite, broken over what has been done. I have watched him cry with tears and mucus. Now you know what I mean when I say mucus. Just sobbing his heart out. I suppose you and I have wept that way. I have. I'm assuming maybe you have too. We know how Jacob feels tonight, verse 12, and he had a dream. Here we go. And he had a dream. And behold, a ladder was set on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Hey, did you see the pictures this last week from the news? That tragic monorail fire in Seattle. Did you hear about that? Caught on fire high above the ground. The passengers are down on the floor of that sky-high compartment trying to... Is there any fresh air? They've broken out windows. They're hanging out, pleading, screaming for help. And then that Seattle Fire Department comes roaring up with those massive ladders. I tell you what, they must have looked like angels ascending and descending on a ladder, don't you suppose? As one by one, they bring down those who cannot save themselves. Jacob, entrapped in the choking fumes of his own deadly guilt, cannot extricate himself. He is lost unless somebody drops a ladder to the pit where he has fallen. Hey, you remember Jesus. One of his first words in the whole Gospel of John. You remember what Jesus said to Nathaniel? Let me put it to you up here like it reads in the Greek. Amen, amen. That's how it reads in the Greek. Amen, amen, I say to you. You will see the heavens opened and a ladder let down and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Jesus has always been the ladder from heaven to earth. Always and always. Still is. Jacob hears a voice from the top of that ladder. What is this? Verse 13. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. Now remember, this is the very God. Jacob fears he has offended so greatly that there is no hope of his, for his guilty soul. He will never hear from that God again. He's hearing from him right now. I am the Lord, the God of Abraham and Isaac. I.e., Jake! 
If Abraham is still your grandfather and Isaac is still your father, then I am still your God. I am your God. Which, by the way, means that the words during that second moment of deception with dad, the words Papa spoke, Jacob had refused to believe they could ever come true. It now means that the words are true. Go back a little bit earlier here in in Genesis 28, verse 3. Papa's putting his gnarled old 137-year hands. I love the hands of my dad. I wish I could hold them again. My dad had wrinkled hands. He had blue veins. I got some of it. He got he had blue veins. But my hands look like, look like a pair of wimps next to my dad's hands. They were so strong. They had the, these little spots from aging on them. I loved my father's hands. I loved them. Papa, blind, blind hands, but he knows. He doesn't know he's being deceived again, but... He knows this time it is Jacob. And the hands go forth. And notice what Papa, notice what Father Isaac pronounces. May God Almighty, were he writing, speaking in Hebrew, he would say, May El Shaddai. Ever heard of him? May El Shaddai, the Omnipotent One. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may become a company of peoples. Now the same God shows up in a dream and says, I am the God of your father. I am El Shaddai. El Shaddai. May the Almighty One be with you. And who is El Shaddai? Ladies and gentlemen, remember, He is the God who can get there from here. That's El Shaddai. I can get there from here. I am your God, Jacob. I am your God too. Which means, by the way, that no matter how you have fallen, how far you have plunged, there is a ladder in this universe that can reach to the hellhole where you now lie. There is a ladder that can get there from here. I'm El Shaddai. I am the ladder. You want to climb the ladder? Climb me. I am El Shaddai, Jacob's ladder. Wow. Grace. Can you imagine? After You spit in your dad's face. After all, I am El Shaddai. Uh, verse 13, And behold, the Lord stood above it and He said, Hey, He said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac and the land on which you live. I will give it to you and to your descendants. Verse 14. And your descendants will also be like the dust of the earth. And you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and in your descendants shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Do you know what is so amazing about what you have just read? That is the identical covenant promise language that God has already used with grandfather Abraham and father Isaac. God is making the identical promise now to a mess. Stop, run away, lying, cheat, and good-for-nothing son. Grace. I played golf this last week with a young man who, is, who has totally screwed up his life. Spiritually, chemically, through drugs and addiction, socially. The whole messy nine yards of sin. He could say, been there and done that. And yet... El Shaddai found him. 
tracked him like the hound of heaven, wouldn't let him go. And that young man today is a dedicated servant of Jesus Christ. I'm telling you what, there is no hole you can fall into. But that grace does not have a ladder for you to. Wow. Because if you let me, I can get there from here. No matter where your here is, I can get there from here. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. It saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. God goes on, verse 15, But behold, Jacob, I am with you, and I will keep you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised to you. And then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I didn't know it. He was afraid and said, How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So Jacob rose up early in the morning, and he took the stone, a soft pillow now, he he took the stone that he had put under his head and he set it up as a pillar and he poured oil on its top and he called the name of the place Bethel. Beth house, El God, house of God. However, previously the name of the city had been Luz. Then Jacob, verse 20, made a vow saying, If God will be with me and keep me on this journey that I take and will give me food to eat and garments to wear and I return to my father's house in safety then the Lord will be my God and this stone which I have set up as a pillar will be God's house and of all that you give me I will surely give a tenth to you Amen the end so to speak When I prepared first to write this sermon, I was wrong. I was wrong. You see, I concluded that Jacob here was cutting a deal with God. And so I, I haven't erased it yet. Fortunately, I put it in pencil. But I wrote three Latin words, quid pro quo. This for that. All right, you bless me. Then I'll do this. I was wrong. The idea I had been planning to drive home was the notion that God Almighty is willing to deal with cheaters and liars and other such sinners like you and me. Wow, what a God! He will deal even with us. But then in my continuing study for this sermon, I came across a line that disabused me of the notion of any deal cutting at all. Jacob is not wheeling and dealing with God here. God is, this is not a quid pro quo quote, bargain. God is not cutting a deal with the cheater. Instead, the story of grace is so amazing that Jacob's early morning, now overwhelmed heart in gratitude, cries out to God, I must respond to this grace. And that's what you have. Take a look at this. I want you to note the sentence that disabused me of that wrong notion. Take your study guide out, please. For the last moment, we'll fill in the study guide. Now, folks, you know the drill. If you don't have a study guide, hold your hand up. An usher will come by. Those of you watching on television, if you look at the <clears throat> web address on the screen right now, www.pmchurch.org, you can get this study guide. By the way, click on to, and we have only one more installment to this series, The Christ of the Passion. 
Today's study, as simple as one, two, three. That's today's study. Click right there. You'll have the study guide. Okay, we know the drill. Let's go. You got the study guide? This quotation will mean absolutely nothing to you unless you fill it in. So let's fill it in together. Here's the sentence that taught me. Jacob was not here. This is from a little book called Patriarchs and Prophets. Quoted from it a moment ago. Jacob was not here seeking to make terms. Write it in, please. He was not here seeking to make terms with God. The Lord had already promised him prosperity. That's true. God said you can have the whole, the whole world. There's no, not, no deal now. Well, now that you're giving me the whole world, I'll make a deal. No, it doesn't even make sense. It's illogical. The Lord had already promised him prosperity. And this vow was the outflow of a heart filled with, write it in, gratitude for the assurance of God's love and mercy. See, Jacob felt, keep going, Jacob felt that God had claims upon him, which he must acknowledge. Claims. God has a claim on my life. You mean that goes for me too? Yep. God has a claim on every child of his on this earth. Jacob now felt that God had claims upon him, which he must acknowledge, and that the special tokens, write it in, of divine favor granted him. Has God done anything in your life? Oh, come on, be honest. Has God done anything in your life? But of course. The special tokens of divine favor granted him, demanded a, write it in, demanded a return, a response. I've got to do something. I don't want to just sit here and take it all in. So does every blessing bestowed upon us call for a response, write it in, to the author, the source, the author of all our mercies. You see, my initial conclusion was wrong. Returning to God one-tenth of his possessions was no quid pro quo deal for Jacob. All right, God, you bless me. Here's the deal. I'll give a tithe back to you. No, that's not what's happening at all. It was rather a spontaneous response to overwhelming grace. I am so blessed to get a little journal that is mailed out of Buchanan, Michigan, just to the south of us. There's a wonderful ministry there called Life Action Ministries, and they put out a journal called Heart Cry, a journal on revival and spiritual awakening. The founder, uh, the, the director of that ministry, Byron Paulus, I know him. He's a great man. He's, our staff has gone down there for uh, a retreat, their retreat center. There's a, this is the spring. So this just came out, the spring 04 uh, issue. There's a line in an article written by Brian Hedges. And I said, oh, that, that sentence, we, I want you to have it too. Would you fill it in, please? We should ransack, I like this, we should ransack history. We should ransack history for the memorials, write it in, for the memorials of God's mercy, grace, and power. Has the God of Jacob been good to you? Come on, has he been good to you? I came home from preaching at the Yugoslavian camp meeting last week, and on my desk, rather on our doorstep, a letter marked confidential. I opened the letter. Inside the words of a heartbroken young woman who wonders why God can let life in a family get so broken. I realize that there are times when in the present you just can't seem to find any sign of grace and mercy. Well, then ransack history. Go backwards. Go back. Go 
back in time, you will soon bump into a cold, stony Bethel that you have forgotten about. And it will be a memorial to you that God did do something special in your life. Go back and ransack history. Ransack it till you find it. That El Shaddai has been alive and well in your life. And if he's been alive and well in your past, my dear woman friend, my dear man friend, he will be alive and well in your present. And he will journey with you all the way into kingdom come. My name is El Shaddai and I can get there from here. I can get there. Ransack history till you find that mossy stone and stop and give thanks. You'll find it. And when we discover the memorials to God's intervention in the past, how should we respond? Because you're going to run into that stone. But when you discover it, how should you respond? The same way Jacob did, the same way the psalmist did. Write it in Psalm 116. Psalm 116. How does the psalmist respond? Oh, what shall I render? Write it in. What shall I render to the Lord for all His benefits to me? God has done so much in my life. What shall I give back to Him? What shall I render? What shall I render? What shall I render? There must be something I can do, dear God, after all you have done for me. And Jacob cries, I, I, wait a minute, I know what I'm going to do. Dear God, I will give to you a tenth. Write it in. I will give to you a tenth. And throughout the rest of sacred history, that tenth has been called God's tithe. Ah, oh, come on. Do you think that measly 10% of yours, do you think that's going to pay God back? I tell you, feel the fervor. Feel the fervor. You can almost feel it shaking in your study guide. Feel this sentence in tithes. There's the word. Tithes for Christ. Are you kidding? You're going to pay him back. Tithes for Christ. Oh, meager pittance. Shameful recompense for that which costs so much from the cross of Calvary. Christ calls for an unreserved consecration. All that we have, all that we are should be devoted to God. Tithe, quid pro quo, not on your life, not on Christ's life and death. No, 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 no. How could our puny pittance ever repay? Ever, ever, ever repay. In the words of Isaac Watts, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Tell you what, ladies and gentlemen, if in your ransacking history, your own personal history, and it's possible. People who are particularly in the throes of personal depression just cannot see it. They, they won't bump into a stone and a Beth El anywhere. They just are convinced there is nothing in life that has been good for me. If that's you, my friend, go back further. You, you, you stop too soon. Don't stop with your birth. Just keep going back. Go back. Go back. Go back 2,000 years. You will bump into a mossy old wooden cross. When you bump into that Bethel, it's for you too. You have now ransacked history and found a reason to respond with joy today. Go back until you get to where Isaac Watts got. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and poor contempt on all my pride. 
see. From His head, His hands, His feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet or thorns compose so rich a crown? Here it comes. Were the whole realm of nature mine that were a present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. When you bump into the cross, how then shall we respond? It's simple. Your response is as simple as one, two, three. That's how you respond. Take out a tithe envelope. There's one right in front of you in the pew. Would you take out that tithe envelope? If you open your tithe envelope up, you will notice a line one. There's a line two. And there's a line three. <clears throat> Can we put that on the screen? <clears throat> put that on the screen, please. While I catch my voice here. Line one, fill it in. God's tithe. Line two, it's God's church. Line three, it's God's children. Here in the Pioneer Memorial Church, it's as simple as one, two, three to know how to respond. Can't get any more simple than that. You say, oh, do I, do I, do I, please, please. When I fill out my tithe envelope, I want you to know I only fill out line one. That's all Jacob did. Line one. I, I, I try to understand the logic. Why would you only fill out line one? Line one is what already belongs to God. He said, I'm, that, that's mine. May I have it back? When I, give, when I give line one back, the tenth, I'm saying, God, you be the manager, the senior partner in life's venture. You join me, God. That's line one. But for the gratitude, for the expression, that's line two. And line three. In fact, there's one more, one more quotation before I sit down. Would you fill it in as well? Whenever a special deliverance is wrought in our behalf, or new and unexpected favors are granted us, we should acknowledge God's goodness not only by expressing our gratitude in words, but like Jacob, write it in. Like Jacob, by gifts and offerings to his cause. As we are continually receiving. Did you write that in? As we are continually receiving the blessings of God. So we are to be continually giving. Line one. God's tithe. Line two. God's church. Line three, around here, God's children. If your heart is casting about for a way to symbolically respond to God's gift of Calvary, there could not be a more tangible way you can grow the kingdom of Christ right here in those three little lines, line one, line two, and line three. This isn't a quid pro quo. It's not, oh God, I do this, you bless me. It's simply coming with a heart overwhelmed with gratitude and giving back to Him. Oh God, Perhaps this is just too, too technical a deflection.
from the ladder of Calvary that you have let down to us. There isn't a soul here this afternoon for whom you have not come down in Christ to save him, to save her. Oh, Jesus, please, don't let us forget. Can't find any mossy stone of El Shaddai's intervention. Then, oh, Lord, please, for every man, woman, and child here, then take us all the way back. And dear God, out of hearts softened by that love, let us give. We know how to spell live. Teach us now in response to the life Christ has given. Oh, teach us how to spell give. As easy as one, two, three. We must go together as a people here. And so, Father, it's yours. The grace is ours. Our lives, yours. Forever and ever, please, all of us, accept it now. And may the God who loved us and the Christ who sacrificed for us and the Holy Spirit who communes with us now guide us as we walk with El Shaddai. Amen.